Today's first scripture reading comes from 2 Timothy chapters 1, verses 1 to 7, and can be found on pages 1195 of the Pew Bibles. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. This is the word of the Lord. Our second scripture reading comes from 2 Timothy and continues in verses 8 through 14. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching, with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. This is the word of the Lord. Well, welcome to each one of you who have come in person today, and also welcome to all of those joining us on Zoom. Of course, those of you who are traveling on Zoom or for some reason could not attend, we appreciate the effort you've made to join, and when you are again back and can come, we love to see you in person. Now today is uh, going to be a special service. Well, it's been special already, but the sermon's going to be different. And this isn't just me 30 years ago. <laughs> this is actually my son and my son, Timothy, who is also a pastor, uh, is visiting Lois and myself. Many greetings from Lois. She's in her third week of shingles and is getting better, but not totally back yet. But many greetings from her. Um, anyway... He and I are going to share the sermon today. That means that 
I'm going to preach to you and with you on certain verses of this first chapter of 2 Timothy, and then he will come and continue, and then I will come and continue, and as you listen carefully, we trust that then you will receive two pastors' insights into these few verses. And we trust this is a blessing to you. Um, Now, this is the first of four sermons on the book of 2 Timothy. And 2 Timothy, I think, is my favorite book in the New Testament. And it is very different than much of the rest of Paul's writings. I've mentioned this to you before. But it is different and it is not a logical presentation of the gospel or the truth of God that brings people from sin to salvation to following God for their lives, like we find in the book of Romans. Rather, it is the last thing that he actually uh, wrote, as far as we understand. And because it's his last writing, and as the message earlier mentioned to us, is that he was in prison, and when you get to chapter 4, you realize he understands His time on earth is very short. This may be the last communication he has, and he's sending it to this man, Timothy, with whom he's made missionary trips, whom he has poured his life into, whom he has sent to churches like Ephesus to preach and to appoint elders and to help make certain that they go the right way. He's invested into him, and yet at this moment it is as if he wants to express to him those very essentials one more time. It would be like if you had for your best friend or your, your uh, wife or husband or your children, and you knew that your time on earth was done and you had one more Zoom call, one more five-minute talk, what would you say? And this is the content of 2 Timothy. And the very first thing he says as he begins, it's a bit different as he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God concerning, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. One would have thought, he would have said, now Timothy, you remember that trip we went on? Timothy, you remember this? No, no, no. The very first thing he's going to talk to Timothy about is the will of God. And how that has worked itself out in Paul's own life. You see, this is coming. It reminds me a lot of, it's almost Paul's expression as we were studying together Romans chapter 8. Remember verses 26, 27, and 28. 26, and then it says, and when we don't know what we should do. Remember how then it goes and said, and then the Spirit of God intercedes for us with groanings. Words which cannot be uttered. Can you imagine the Spirit of God going, Ah! And of course, verse 27 says, and he does that to intercede for us that the will of God is our experience. And this, I think, is Paul going, Timothy, Ah! If there's anything I would want for you, it's that you know and experience the will of God. And he says, this will of God is according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. It's not just we get on with whatever we do. This is Jesus Christ himself ordering our life. 
And we responding to what Paul, or excuse me, David described in Psalm 139 as, as God knits us together in our mother's womb. And then it goes on that beautiful verse and says, and then God thinks about us. God plans for us. God numbers our days. The will of God. And he goes on in the next verse and he gives us these three things about the will of God. One, it's according to the life in Christ Jesus. I am the way. I am the truth. I'm the life. He who comes to me, I will no way cast out. Or John 10.10, I am come that you would have life and life more abundant. That life in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on in verse 2 and gives us two more ideas. Not just the promise of life in Christ Jesus, but then he goes on and he says to Timothy, I thank God, in verse 3, whom I serve as my ancestors or my forefathers did. In other words, he's saying, the will of God is not something that just exclusively has happened for me. No, 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 it's much more. He can look back and say, and my forefather, my ancestor Abraham, he trusted God. Walking up the mountain with his son when his son said, God, or father, we have the wood, we have the fire, we don't have a sacrifice. And he turns and says, on the mountain, Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. That's his ancestry. And Noah in the ark, David. And he said, it's not just me, this God we serve. That's a will for each and every one. And he goes on, not just according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, according to what my ancestors have done, but then he says, and I serve God with a clear conscience. And I tell you, when you approach the end of life, a clear conscience is incredibly important. That one can look back and say, I have no regrets. As he wrote in Romans 12, 1 and 2, Therefore we offer our bodies a living sacrifice that we might know the good will of God. It's good. But then he qualifies it, the acceptable. It is not easy. And some days we do not understand. But then he comes to the the rookspiel, what is that? The looking backwards when he says, but it is perfect. No. What else does he say, and why does he believe that Timothy can really experience this will of God? And here we have, maybe help if I turn this on. And here we have in verse 5 where Paul identifies to Timothy how it is that he can experience the will of God for himself in his life. And in verse 5, we have the following. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Why is it that he knows he can experience the will of God? Because he has a sincere faith, a genuine relationship with God. Today, I imagine as people call people and say, hey, I know you can do this. They'll look at their resume and say, look what you've accomplished in life. Look at your charisma. Look at the personality traits that you have. But that is not what Paul points to. He identifies you have a sincere faith. And I look two chapters further in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
in verse 5 where he identifies that in the end of time there will be those who have the appearance of godliness but deny its power. What a contrast we see in Timothy where in the end of days we'll have people who are very religious, those who have the form of godliness who look like they have a relationship with God but do not experience the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. And Paul says, I know that, I, that you can experience God's will for you, for you have a sincere faith. It is a faith that lived in your grandmother and in your mother and now dwells in you as well. And I look at my own personal life and I know that there is a, I was blessed with godly grandparents and godly parents. And I grew up with stories of these are things that God is doing in our lives and these are the ways that God is providing and these are the miracles that God is performing today. But in my own life as a child, I had to reach the point where I decided, would I myself give my life to God? Would I come and humble myself before God and say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. Father, forgive me. I need Jesus to be my Savior I need Him to be Lord of my life, and do I daily submit my life to Him? And what is a sincere faith? It is one where we have such an intimate relationship with God, where we see Him alive, we see Him working in us and through us. And it is because of that foundational relationship that Paul is able to give him instructions of what he is to do. And the very first instruction we see him give is in verse 6 and 7. And he says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you, through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And what an incredible word picture he gives, to fan into flame. And what are we reminded here? That the gift that God has given, it can grow cold, it can go out. But we are to fan it into flame. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, we are warned not to quench the Spirit, not to let it go out. What do we need to do with the fire so that it can actually be, be fanned into flame? We get rid of the ashes, we get rid of the wet wood, and we fan it into flame in our own lives. Get rid of the sin. Get rid of the junk, get rid of the distractions so that we can hear the Holy Spirit, we can respond to the Holy Spirit, and that we can let the Holy Spirit embolden the gifts that He has given us. And I am convinced here, Paul is telling Timothy, God has given you gifts. Use them to His glory. Use them for the building up of the church so that you can see God at work in you to the enrichment of the church. And why? He tells us here in verse 6, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. And as Paul is sitting in prison, and at the end of the chapter we see that, we ha that there are people who are leaving him, who are abandoning him, who are ashamed. And it is as if Paul is reminding him, do not be afraid of how people re will respond. Do not be afraid of the what-ifs. Do not be afraid of whether you are good enough. For God has given you the Holy Spirit. He has given you a spirit of power. And that spirit that lives within you is making you alive. That spirit that is within you is enabling you to do what God has called you to do. 
He has given you a spirit of love so that you can love God with your whole heart. You can love the unlovable. You can love your neighbor and even your enemy. And God has given us a spirit of self-control so that we can say no to sin and wholeheartedly be available to God and his ministry. Therefore, do not be afraid. Do not turn back. But what other instruction does Paul give Timothy? If you continue the reading in verse 8, you will find that he moves from this, I would almost call this inner thing that we must face when living out the will of God, this fear, this anxiety of, I can't do it. And he's reminded that God has given these things. Then he goes in verse 8 and listen, what he writes there, he says, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about, about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but do, share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He says this outward force, Timothy, which will work against you to keep you from fulfilling the will of God in your life, he names it shame. Shame. Now, to help us understand, think for a moment with me. Where is this term, this concept, first used in the Bible? It takes us all the way back to the book of Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve sinned, and they realized they were naked or they had no clothing, they were no longer protected, it says, and they were ashamed. Now, remember what they did? Of course, first they tried to cover. Then, when God came, as he came every evening to speak with them, they hid and, and they withdrew. They, they didn't cut, step up. And so as you go through the Bible, consistently it uses this concept of shame, that which causes us to step back, that which causes us to hide or attempt to hide, that which causes us to move aside or to not be strong in something. So if we take that understanding of shame, look what he's saying. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have we ever felt that force of shame? In 2022, there is no other name under heaven whereby men and women may be saved. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. How often in 22, we look at this idea and said, but, but isn't it enough to just be sincere? Don't all roads lead to God? No, what that does, it causes us to step back, you see. It's a real, it's a real force of shame within 2022. And it's about the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, or the testimony of me. And of course, he has this experience where he is in prison. And it is true. I remember some of my, in my early missionary days, some of the people who worked and trained me helped uh, Richard Wurmbrandt come out of Romania. And Richard Wurmbrandt had been put in prison for 14 years. And they helped bring him to this part of the world after he was released. One of the beautiful stories about Richard is the man helping him come out. He went and he 
He was walking down the street, and one person after the other met Richard, and then he would turn to this brother and say, this is brother so-and-so, and this is brother so-and-so. And then one came up and shook his hand, and he just said, this is brother, won't mention his name. And the man went on with Richard and said, Richard, you didn't tell me what he was, who he is. And he said, oh, that's the man that betrayed me. You see, God worked deeply in his heart. But there were moments, I remember, when he stood before the U.S. Congress and ripped out upon his shirt and he let people see the wounds and the, the scars on his back. And there were moments when I, as a young Christian, thought, do I want to identify with this? I am so old, I remember when the missionaries crashed, or no, they landed their plane among the Aqua people in, Latin, in South America. And they, at the end, all were martyred. And I remember how God deeply moved me. But the challenge was, do I identify with that? Hear Paul saying to Timothy, the forces of shame will cause you to step back, to move. And then he goes on and says also, share with me for suffering and the gospel. Is there anything about the gospel, the truth of God? But look at what he says that causes us to pull back the truth about the gospel. Share with me in the suffering according to the power of God. Isn't that an amazing idea? Suffering according to the power of God. And so he goes through this, but look what he says, this power of God, who has saved us, and then he has called us to the holy calling. This is what is all true, you see. He has moved us from when we were lost and dead in sin to now being a child of God. As we just heard about this sincere faith, we've experienced that moment when the Spirit of God comes and cries out in our soul, Abba, Father, and our soul, acknowledging the presence of God, cries back, Abba, Father, and we belong to Him. And he says, so he saves us, and then he calls us to a holy calling, to the will of God for our lives, that we would live godly. And then he always goes on and says, and look, all of this has come through Christ Jesus. He gave us in Christ Jesus before the time began, before ages began. In other words, God the Father, remember as we studied God the Father, how he set this up. And he has this will, this plan, this purpose. And then he sent Jesus, God the Son, to die on the cross for you and me that we could enter into that plan. And then he goes on to say even more. He says, then when Jesus came with the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, listen to what he did. He abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Wow. I was reading, actually, John Stock's book on 2 Timothy, and when he came to this verse, he's got a very interesting paragraph. I'd encourage you to read it. And he describes death. He said there are at least three parts of death that we as humans can experience. He said the first is physical death, when our body is separated from our soul. And then he said there is spiritual death when our soul is separated from God. And then he said the third death is there is eternal death. When our resurrected body and soul are separated from God for eternity. 
But what he says here, Paul, is, and when Jesus appeared, when he died on the cross, when he rose from the dead, the literal word means he annihilated death. Wow. And he defeated evil who uses the power of death. And that's the gospel. And then he goes on and he says, not only did he annihilate death or destroy death, but look at what he says. He brought to life in the gospel. He brought to light that we could see, we could understand. It's been revealed life. That you and I could live the will of God for our lives. And not only has he done that, but he brought immortality that we could realize that eternity and eternal life is real. And live and know that we possess it. As John writes at the end of 1 John, chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, you know, if we, he who has the Son of God has life, he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. But I write these things that you know that you have eternal life. And then after this, Paul comes into this amazing verse 12. Let me just read that to you. He says in verse 12, he says, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted or committed to me. You know, Paul is saying to Timothy, don't be ashamed. Let me just take a moment. Have the forces of shame ever worked in your life? Where they've caused you to step back, to retreat, to attempt to hide, particularly in these areas, but Paul's going to say to Timothy, yes, I've experienced that, but here is how God worked. And he said, I know whom I have believed. It is a personal relationship with God, with Jesus Christ. He knows that God is alive. And not only that, he trusts the authority of God. He says, and I am convinced that he is able to keep that which he's either entrusted with me Commentators go at the last part of this verse and they'll say the reality is one could translate it. It means they're literally it's my deposit. Now whether Paul is saying what God has placed in me and I know belongs to me or that which I have placed in eternity by committing it to God. But either way works you see because God keeps it through his power and his authority. Isn't that an amazing truth? And one that we need to understand now. What other instructions does he give Timothy? So hereafter, telling Timothy to fan into flame and then continuing by telling him not to be ashamed. In verse verse 13, he continues by saying, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. In other words, he is saying, that which you have heard, that which you have taught, apply it. Do it. Don't just be a hearer of the word, but do it. There is no place for hypocrisy in Christianity. It takes me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 24, where Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So do I not run aimlessly? 
I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. What is he saying? That as a Christian teacher, as any believer, we, it is not enough to know what is true. We must do it. For there is an eternal reward waiting. And we look forward to the day when we hear the words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. But not only does he say that you need to follow the pattern, that you must apply what you have learned and what you have heard. But he continues on in verse 14 to say, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. What God has given you, what God has called you to, guard it, protect it, don't let it go. And I am so convinced that this command that Paul has given Timothy is so applicable to us today. That the truth of God's gospel, don't let it go. That there are so many today who want to say, ah, but I know better. Can't I pick and choose what applies to us? Can't I pick and choose what still is true and what applies in the culture today? But no, this is the word of God. Don't let heretical teachings come in, but make sure that the truth of God is what you teach, that this is the authority in your life and what you continue to minister from. And I love how it points us back to verse 12. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. For in verse 14 it says, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to me. We are called to guard, to protect the truth. We are to protect what the Holy Spirit is doing within us and the ministry that he has called us to not by our own wisdom, not by our own strength, but by the wisdom that God gives us, by the strength that the Holy Spirit lends us. And I love how as we look into the application of how it applies to us, he gives these applications of what the people in their day and age had done with it. And in verse 15 through 18 it says, You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Figilus and Hermogenes. There were many who had heard the word of God and had, who, who had originally received it. And then they saw Paul in chains and they turned away. And in contrast, he gives us one example. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And again and again, we are reminded that there are two options for us today. Do we turn our backs upon God? Do we turn our backs upon what God is calling us to? Or do we search out God and his people and his work and pursue it? And there's this promise that they will receive the mercy of God on that day. Are we looking forward to eternity? Are we looking forward to immortality and the reward that God promises? And when I look at the application for us today, I must return to the beginning. 
Do we have a sincere faith? Do we have this real relationship with God where we see Him working in us, using us, being real? For we cannot do the will of God for us without an intimate relationship with God. That is where it must start. But what else do we do with this passage? I would just encourage you as you go home today to read these verses, this chapter again. And maybe there would be a verse that seems to be, although written so long ago, written as if he was looking at your own life or my life. And when you come to that verse, could you then just pause and in your heart and in your head and in your mind, seek God. You know, I think these things that he's saying, doing the will of God is so important. And those things which fear or concern or shame, which might hold us back, we need to simply acknowledge that and then move forward. You know, and as he closes there, he says, Timothy, the reason you follow this way, the reason you allow God's Spirit to guard you, he uses a very interesting statement there. He says, and you do that because of what is in you by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. In other words, he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, the very same God I serve, the very same God whose will has worked in my life, he's in you. And I would say to each one of you today, that's true for you if your faith is true and sincere. The same God that was in Paul and Timothy in us. And as we began, as Paul said, this seems to be just the outpouring of Paul's heart. This moment where Paul is like the Spirit. Remember, literally, the Holy Spirit today is before the Father going, for you that you would live the will of God. If you go further in Romans 8, it says, and then God the Son today is going, interceding for you. Again, that you would experience God and the will of God for your life. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit desires you to know, to live, the will of God from today to eternity. Let's pray. Father, thank you again this afternoon for this opportunity to look at your word. Thank you for this amazing message that God the Spirit inspired Paul to write to Timothy. And you know there are many times in my life when I have read this book and it seems as if it was written to me. And Lord, I pray for each one of us today, that as we take time during this day and this week to read this portion again, may it come alive. May it speak to our hearts, to our minds, to our souls, to the very depth of who we are. And Lord, I pray that your ultimate blessing be upon each one who is here, that they would know and they would live and they would experience the will of God for their lives. That like Paul, at the end of life, they can look in retrospect 
and very clearly say, I have a clear conscience. I have absolutely no regrets. I have walked with God. We thank you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.